The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Andrea Sherman, holds a PhD in gerontology, teaches at the Westchester Meditation Center, and is an end-of-life doula. Along with Marsha Wiener, Andrea co-authored Transitional Keys, a guidebook of rituals to improve quality of life for older adults. Their essay, Practices for Shattered Nights, appears in the May-June 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Andrea, welcome to the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you, Rami. I'm really delighted to be here. And thank you for acknowledging Marsha Wiener, the co-author and writer and good friend. And also, I wanted to thank the amazing artists Julie Liger Belair for her truly visionary artwork. It's phenomenal. Yeah, in the magazine. I, I'm talking to our listeners, and I mention this at the end of every podcast. If you're not a subscriber to the magazine, you're not only missing out on amazing articles, but the artwork in the magazine is absolutely stunning. So please. <laughs> it is. Don't, yeah, don't. Don't buy it at Barnes and Noble and or on the newsstand because the magazine needs your subscription. You'll save money and you'll save the magazine. Magazine business is so difficult, and one way we survive is through subscriptions. So let you know what. Let's start with some backstory on your part because okay. you know you you came to this end of life doula thing through Buddhism, and, and you're trained in your, your training in this is is from the Zen perspective. So tell us how that that happened. Sure. Well, people always say, my goodness, your career, it's like so varied. It's, you've done so many things. I actually started out as a dancer. I was a modern dancer for 15 years. And somewhere along the way, I started teaching dance to older adults in San Francisco during the CETA art years there. And I fell in love with teaching dance to older people. So the next thing I did was a lot of years at NYU and getting a doctorate in dance and gerontology. And then I became a Tibetan Buddhist. But along the way, at, I guess, a special meditation day, 
two Zen Buddhists from the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, and they talked about their program. So first I did their foundations in Buddhist contemplative care, which is a very, very rich area of caregiving. And then they had a one-time only program in being a contemplative end-of-life doula with a particular Buddhist focus. And so I did that for 10 months with a group of about 30 people. So I, I guess I have to know, just for my own personal sense of things, how old do you have to be to be considered old in, in the work that you do? <laughs> I wonder if I qualify as yeah. to improve quality of life for older adults. What's older? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And for a long time, they divided old into three categories, young old, the middle old, and the old old. So, and that's, that is still used. The young old is, are, tend to be in their 60s to their mid-70s, the middle old, 70s to mid-80s, and then the old old, 85 and up. And then, of course, their centenarians, those wonderful people that live well into their hundreds. So old, yeah. it's like, it's a good question. Is old a number? Is it a physical sensation? Is it a attitude towards life? What, what is yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so, so I, I guess I'm in the, the young old category, right? I, I'm, cause I'm in my early seventies, not yet middle seventies. I'm in the young. I yeah. just wanted to know how long I've got left in your little scheme. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> you know, that was it. So, okay. So I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to call you for end-of-life doula work yet. So yet. What, no, what does an end-of-life doula do, and how does a Zen-trained one differ from other training? Uh, a Zen, a doula, is someone that helps ease the transition from living to dying. And the Zen practice brings work of Bernie Glassman, who was a wonderful Zen teacher and developed the Zen peacemakers. And he brought these principles to it. And those principles are applied and used for end-of-life Buddhist contemplative doulas. And that is bearing witness. So say you walk into the room of someone that is at the end of life. You bear witness and you see what is in the room. You bear witness to it. You don't judge it. You just see and along with that, you develop a sense of panoramic awareness. So you see really broadly, you know, you see, is there disorder? You see, what are the objects that are in And you bring sense of presence to the bedside and to the experience of dying. I think for an end-of-life contemplative doula, dying is viewed as a sacred experience and a doula is considered to be an invited guest to a sacred experience. And so there's no judgment. There's, it's almost as if I remember we used to do a practice before we crossed the threshold into the room of someone that was dying. And we would take a minute and pause before crossing into the room, just to pause, just to take that moment to feel present moment awareness, which is a very, I think, pretty Buddhist concept. Does that enter your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was, I don't know if you could say I was close to Bernie Glassman, but 
but he he was I consider him a teacher and, and we would spend time together so so I definitely appreciate the work that that he had done I would probably make a terrible end of life doula when when I <laughs> when I was early in my rabbinic career I was working with this young kid he was like 16 and he had some horrible disease he was dying and I was with him and his family and his social worker in the hospital and he is un- he'd been unconscious for quite a long time and we're just waiting for the end and it was silent in the room we were just I guess all of us just being present and then he opened his eyes and he sat up something we thought he could no longer do he sat up with this beatific I don't know expression on his face and he looked everyone in the eye and he said I found it and then he <laughs> fell back and died you know, and and I jumped on top of the bed and I grabbed him by the collars of his, you know, his gown. I was shaking him up and down, slapping him in the face. What did you find? What did you find? Get back here! <laughs> so, so did he answer? Story, <laughs> no, the story was true up until the jumping on top of him. But you know, that, that was my impulse. You know, so I wouldn't I wouldn't make a good doula because that's what I would want to do. But the, but it's true. He just had this look. I found it. He was. He, he was very much into meditation. Um, Muktananda was his his guru. He, he was his family was was Jewish. They were very upset that he had an interest in meditation, and so they brought me in because I was a friend of a of a Swami in the Muktananda school of things, and so I was their Jewish link to all things Muktananda. But you know, it was it was it is it's a very powerful or it can be. A very powerful, sad, but also sacred moment. If you if you're privileged enough to be with people who invite you into their dying. So, Definitely. yeah. So you know, as I read the article in the magazine, and I read your book, Transitional Keys, a guidebook of rituals to improve quality of life for older adults. I got the sense that we were going to have two conversations. One on the idea of transitional keys, and the other on your article, which deals with something that I'd never heard of before, rapid eye movement sleep behavior disorder, or RBD. And I, and I want to talk about both, and I know that you can link the two, which is what I want to get to eventually. But let's, let's just start with this transitional keys. So what is that? And then talk to us about RBD. Okay, great. Thank you. I think I love rituals since I was a really young child. And I like to train people in thinking ritualistically to ease the many transitions throughout our life, particularly the transitions in the second half of life. And this is everything from religious rituals to secular rituals. It runs the gamut. And because ritual is so rich, it's transformative. And one way to think about what a ritual is, is if you imagine like a picture frame, a ritual is like a picture frame. It marks a specific event. It's a vessel. When you create a ritual, you create a vessel and you create a vessel to enact or to mark an event. And there are components to ritual that we talk about in the book. Every ritual, whether it's formal or informal, has an intention, and generally it has a closing. 
and the intention gets infirmed, affirmed, affirmed. Between the intention and the closing is our ritual activity. And when you think about ritual, it comes to us through our senses and through our symbols. So all rituals have both symbol and sense. And whether it's, you know, music or candles or incense or song or cloth as the senses or symbols such as the American flag or a nurse's hat, these symbols convey meaning. They're very rich. And when we wrote the book, we divided rituals up into rituals of celebration, rituals of turning point, and rituals of loss. And celebration might be like celebrating, you know, a decade birthday, like turning 70 or turning 80 or the marriage of your child or your, the birth of a grandchild. Turning point ritual, certainly, that we wrote about in an earlier Spirituality and Health article is giving up your driver's license, which is a huge one. And then a loss ritual, one of my favorite loss ones, is at the end of life, when someone is dying, if they're dying at home, they often can't sleep in their own bed, and a hospice bed has to come into the home. So many times we created rituals for new beds, often that were put in the living room for people to die in. And the family or friends would create kind of a welcome ceremony for the bed into the home where they went so far as to have a picnic on the bed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really palatable about ritual that I feel is that Ritual really supports us during times of uncertainty. When we feel uncertain, there's nothing like creating or attending a good ritual. So the person that influenced me was an anthropologist, Barbara Meyerhoff. She was from California and she wrote some, she wrote Number Our Days. There was a wonderful film made about that. And she talked about the value of ritual and aging and as an anthropologist, she said that ritual helps us to lessen our anxiety and that can help us to dispel fear and provide integration and meaning. And she said, oh my goodness, there's so many rites for the first half of life. There's so many rites of passage, but there's a dearth of ritual between old age and death. There is very little. For instance, getting a wheelchair is a time for a ritual. If you have to have a walker, that's a time for a ritual. Welcoming those into your house, into your home, into your life, into your life. So there's something about ritual where a good ritual creates order and clarity and relief and comfort during anxiety and integration and healing at times of loss. I've done a tremendous amount of work in the latter part of my career about creating rituals for caregivers because so many caregivers, whether they're healthcare professionals or personal family caregivers, are burnt out. So rituals that build resilience. At the Bronx VA, I did a whole group of rituals for caregivers to veterans, and they actually end up writing recipes for resilience. 
Mm. And they published them in the book. So does that kind of answer your question about what ritual does? Yo, absolutely. But it raises another question that, and and I wonder if, well, here's the question. Have we professionalized ritual making so that people no longer feel capable of, oh, I can't do that. I, I wouldn't know where to start. I have to kind of hire someone or my rabbi, priest, minister, imam. I've got to have them do it. It, it. Is it something that people feel? It seems to me it's something that people should be able to do on their own and yet maybe feel intimidated and no longer capable of doing. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah. I think you're right there. That a lot of people are not comfortable with it. I've trained healthcare professionals, many nurses, how to do this. Because they, did, they didn't have a clue, even to ritualize their staff meetings, you know, as healthcare professionals. So they began to rotate who would create a ritual to begin each staff meeting. Very simple, not complex. And, you know, I do think a lot of people need a little nudge. <laughs> Or at least to understand what, what makes a good ritual and why does it work? And to think back to that idea that what you are creating is like a picture frame to mark a specific event. Certainly, I'm sure in your own personal life and in your life as a rabbi, you've created many rituals. I mean, that's part of the, the profession, I guess you'd say. But, yeah. but people have to be able to do it for themselves also. Yes, um, to understand what the components are. Yeah. And that's that in the book. Can, we, yeah, we lay that out, they what they that. are. So uh, let, let's, let's switch gears because I'm cognizant of, of the time we have. Sure. And talk about, talk about the article, Practices for Shattered Nights. So you know, I, I started reading it, and I know I shouldn't have. Uh, my reaction was probably a little wacko. but. You, you you talk about this dream and, and you're being very serious and it's frightening 
And the situation you're going to, you, you talk about this rapid eye movement sleep behavior disorder is clearly very serious. And I'd never heard of it before, but I have to confess that I laughed in the beginning. And, and the reason I did was a couple of weeks ago, I had this dream that I was diving into a swimming pool and my wife woke up when she heard my body crash onto the floor because I literally dove off the bed oh, into what I thought was a swimming pool. And when I hit the floor, which I did fully bodily slammed into the floor, I didn't exactly wake up. I was convinced someone had drained the water out of the pool. And, <laughs> and I didn't realize when I dove, dove into it. So, you know, it took me a while to realize wait, what's real and what's the dream? And that seems to be at the heart of this disorder that, that I mean, the initials are, they just went out of my head. What, what are the initials? RBD. REM sleep behavior disorder. Yeah, REM yeah. sleep behavior disorder. So tell us about that um, and tell us how, what it is, how you're dealing with it. And, and then I want to Yes, and maybe you might want to have a sleep test. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely, you know, when you move in your dreams, most people don't have, you know, motor ability in their dreams, muscle, muscle motor ability to move like that. So in rapid eye, in REM sleep behavior disorder, you do. It's called a parasomnia. Only about 0.5% of the population has it. And there's no known cause for it at this point in time. The quality of it is that the dreams, they tend to come, they tend to be, have kind of an element of terror to them. At least in my case, they have. They ooze a sense of terror. And the difficult thing in finding out about it is that they're often linked as precursors to degenerative diseases like Parkinson's disease and Lewy body dementia. And the statistics are something like 30% develop either one of those diseases in three years and 66% in seven and a half years. So that's the elephant that's in the room, I think, with this. What happened to me was I had a dream and in the dream, while I was dreaming, I stood up and I was defending this woman from a bully. And as I defended her, I fell forward and I broke my nose. And I ended up with blood all over the floor, going to the emergency room. And then finding out, I think first we went to a plastic surgeon just to verify that my nose was okay. <laughs> But it was broken. And then we went to a neurologist. Then we went to a sleep doctor. And then I had the famous sleep test where they put 40 different electrodes all over your body and you quote unquote sleep during the night, which of course you don't, but they, they diagnosed through that, that you have to have an official diagnosis through a sleep test. So I did. And I went through a period of having, when I, I got diagnosed last March and I had several dreams at that point. And because I'm a Buddhist practitioner and a meditation 
practitioner and teacher. I, you know, I was kind of like challenged by this, like, this is my mind. This is my mind, what's happening? And particularly since some of my practice has to do with preparing for death and the bardo, the, again, transitional stage, neither here nor there, and kind of this illusory nature of the mind and the bardo, this sense of being like that person that you described in the room, a warrior, as you go through death and dying. But I experienced a real roller coaster of terror and a fear that I was going to like lose my mind during all of this. So I did a lot of journaling. I began to work with a Jungian therapist and I have been seeing a Tibetan medicine doctor for maybe 10 years now. So she became very involved in my care, as did my teacher, Pachak Rinpoche. And so I relied on my practice to carry me through this, which it has. And here's the connection to ritual. I developed a lot of ritual around my approach to living with this disorder. So I increased my meditation practice. I developed a sleep ritual. Every night before going to bed, I would do a meditation and then take a candle. And in each corner of the room, I say a prayer and the candle was lit. And so there's a sense of really trying to purify my mind and my body before I go to sleep. And then the next ritual was I developed a dream team, my dream team, which includes my teacher, my Tibetan doctor, my Jungian therapist, several Sangha members, my husband, son, family, friends. And so that's my dream team. Really blessed with a good dream team and a lot of support. I increased my Dharma practice. And the meaning of taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, which you do every day as a Buddhist, that became heightened, that sense of taking refuge. I found refuge in those three. And then I had a conversation with my teacher, and he said to me, consider this a blessing. This is a blessing. And that spurred this article on, I think, as I began to develop practices for shattered nights and think about how could this possibly be a blessing? So does that answer your question about the connection between ritual and this disorder that I have? It, it answers that question. It, it, and you do, you write about, you know, I mean, you're saying it very calmly as I was reading when, when it, you know, says, you know, it's a blessing. I mean, my reaction well, I can't say it on the air, but my reaction would have been, yeah, take, your, take your blessing and, and shove it. But there was yeah. also this moment, and I'm, I've got the, the article in front of me, but I, I, I didn't write it. I didn't highlight it. I just have notes. But there's somewhere where, where you ask yourself, is, am I dreaming or awake? Yes. That was another practice that you, I don't know, maybe you, you created this for yourself. I thought that was really interesting. It reminded me of Chuangzi in, in the Chinese Taoist tradition, when he tells that story about, you know, he dreamt he was a butterfly, but then he wakes up and goes, wait, am I 
Chuangzi who dreamt about being a butterfly or am I butterfly who's now dreaming about being Chuangzi? Yeah. You know, am, am I dreaming talking with you, Andrea, right now? Or is this, is this real? I mean, that, that question, I think, is something that, that's worth asking regularly. So how did, how did that help you? I mean, the ritual of asking that question, in a sense. Yeah. How did that, that help question, you what's yeah. real? That question was actually given to me by my Tibetan medicine doctor. She said, during the course of the day, you must ask yourself, am I awake or am I dreaming? And part of the practice, I've just begun to study Tibetan dream yoga. I don't know if you've ever had any of the dream teachers on your show, but there are some wonderful Tibetan dream teachers. and. So I'm just reading into that literature now. But yes, because what I've started to be able to do when I'm dreaming is to bring an awareness to the fact that I'm dreaming, which is the direction that dream yoga goes in, mm. to become awake and aware during your dream. And like eventually lucid. to trans... It's lucid dreaming, yeah. 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 Dream yoga, yeah. lucid dreaming, they... they so it sounds like you're familiar with that. Well, I, a little bit, a little bit. But yeah, I was thinking, it wasn't this podcast, but on another show that I've had, I interviewed this, this fellow, Dr. Andrew Newberg, who's a neuropharmacologist. And I saw him, he's written a number of books on this kind of thing, consciousness studies. And in a film that he was interviewed in, someone asked him, how do you tell the difference between being awake and dreaming. And he said, it's, it's qualitative. You just, if you ask yourself the question, am I dreaming or am I awake? You just know that when you're awake, it's, there's, there's a qualitative sense to waking that is lacking in, in the dream. Now, that's not a great answer, especially from someone who's got a PhD in this thing. But I guess there's, there's something to that. But even asking the question, and and I don't know if this is true. This is this is your area, not mine. I wonder if you'd ask the question in a dream, or if that's only a question you'd ask in the waking state. No, it's both. You would, okay. Yes, you would definitely ask it in the dream. And with some of my dreams, I can do that. With some of my dreams, if they're really like a terror dream, it's harder to ask. So, well, because you're uh, in that state of terror. Yeah, yeah. But if you if you could ask it and you got and you came to the realization you are dreaming, would that impact the terror? I think it would. Yeah, I think that's the assumption, and that's where you start to build the muscle about am I awake or am I dreaming? And you know, there's a lot of techniques to use, and I'm just starting to learn to use them and what they are. My hope is to develop more in this area. Well, it's a fascinating area, and I hope that this was a real conversation. And you know, our our producer Ezra Baker Trupiano actually recorded it, and people will actually get to hear it. And that I didn't dream the entire thing. Our, our guest today, Andrea Sherman, is the co-author with Marsha Weiner of Transitional Keys, a guidebook of rituals to improve quality of life for older adults. Their essay, Practices for Shattered Nights, appears in the May-June issue of Spirituality Health magazine. 
Andrea, thank you for joining us on the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thank you for having me on your show. It's really been an honor. And my question for you and your listeners is, what do you think? Is this a blessing? Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano and our executive producer is Zach Avery. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality Health Magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality Health Magazine, we thank you for your support. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.